Good morning. This is Pastor Mike Letterman with ChristLives.org. Today, our lesson focus is on who we leave out of the Nativity. This time of the year, the Nativity scene brings special memories as to what happened over 2,000 years ago. It's something that's fresh in our mind. As we proceed on with our study, first let's read from the Word of God. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. For when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You know, for most people, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. Christians celebrate as we think about God sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to die for our sins. It's a time for family gatherings and large delicious meals. It's a time for trees, tinsel, lights, and Christmas tunes. It's a time for giving and receiving. It's a time when we all stop and reflect on the reason why we have the season in the first place. It's a time for thanksgiving and appreciating the people in our lives who are most precious to us. For others, Christmas is a time of loneliness and sorrow, as they deal with the heartbreak of missing those that are no longer here. For others, Christmas is painful because they lack the resources to give to the people they love, the things that they want them to have. For many, it's a time of overindulgence in rich foods, overspending on gifts, overcoming the problems that associate with another season, and attempting to overcompensate for the failures of the past year.
Christmas is a time of celebration for the church. It doesn't matter that Jesus was probably born some other time of the year. It doesn't really matter whether it was spring, summer, fall, or winter. What matters is that God loved the world so much that he sent his precious son into the world that sinners might be saved from their sins, from the wrath of God, and from the fires of hell. Around the church, we celebrate by singing Christmas hymns, preaching Christmas sermons, teaching Christmas Sunday school lessons, and having Christmas plays. I don't know about you, but I love the Christmas plays at church. They aren't professional, and though I have it on good authorities that many of the, the, these year's plays will probably rival a Broadway production, I still love them. What I love about Christmas plays in the church is that they preach the gospel. The lost people who attend have an opportunity to hear about why Jesus Christ came into this world and the saints have the opportunity to be reminded of the great love and grace of God that provided them with the Savior. You know, my part, favorite part of the Christmas play is the nativity scene. You know the part where Mary and Joseph come out and place the baby Jesus in the manger. There's a star overhead and we're reminded of the humble surroundings of our Savior's birth. The shepherds arrive. The angels appear. The wise men make an appearance, although they probably didn't come on the night that he was born. It probably came sometime quite a bit later. And small children dressed as sheep, donkeys, and cows are there as well. The nativity scene, as simple as it is, reminds us of a profound truth. It reminds us that at Christmas, we celebrate the Incarnation. We celebrate the moment when God became flesh and walked among men. We celebrate the love and grace of God who willingly laid aside his heavenly glory to be born in the most humble of circumstances so that lost people like us could be saved. Everything we place in the nativity and every person represented in the nativity glorifies the Savior. When we see the nativity, we often smile at the quaintness and the simplicity of it. We find humor in the costumes and in the antics of the children. They just can't avoid wiggling and being kids, can they? Yet when they see, we see the nativity, I hope it touches something deeper within our hearts. I hope it stands as a constant reminder that God loves us, that he came into this world to die for us. He paid an unthinkable price to provide a glorious salvation for all who will receive him. And I think that's what's wrong with the nativity. There's nothing wrong with how it looks or with the costumes we wear or with the message we proclaim by staging the nativity. The problem with the nativity is who is missing from it. Think about it. Everyone we show in the nativity is someone portrayed as a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angels worshipped him. We see that evidence in Luke 2, um, verses 8 through 14. The shepherds worshipped him, Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. The wise men worshipped him, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 11. The animals in their own way worshipped him. Romans 1, verses 19 through 20. 
So we see that the people involved in the nativity scene, and that's about as far as our minds go. We come away with the impression that Jesus died for people who love him. That he came into the world to give his life for the good people among us. Now that's a long way from the whole story. There were a lot of people involved in the Christmas story who do not show up in the nativity scene. What we need to remember at Christmas and throughout the year is that Jesus Christ did not come to this world to die for people who loved him. Because no one loves him naturally. He gave his life for those who hated him and wanted him dead. Look at Mark 2, chapter 17. It says, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What I would like to do in this message is to look at the nativity from a completely different angle. I want to mess it up a little. I want to put some people into the nativity scene that we would never think about including in our stage reenactments. I want to preach about today who we leave out of the nativity. Let me show you some of the groups. While we leave these people out of our nativity scenes year after year, God did not leave them out of his love and his grace. First of all, we leave out the ignorant. The first missing person we'll consider is Caesar Augustus. Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 tells us that Caesar Augustus ordered a taxing of his kingdom. Caesar Augustus was the nephew of Julius Caesar and his successor. He chose the name Augustus as a tribute to his greatness. Our month August is named after him. Augustus ordered his people to be taxed. That simply means that he was taking a census. He wanted to know how many people there were in his kingdom. He probably did this as preparation for levying a tax on the people to raise revenue. Now Caesar Augustus saw himself as a god. Every Roman citizen was required to offer a pinch of incense upon a burning altar and worship him at least once a year. What Augustus didn't know was that the one true living God was using this poor, ignorant Roman to accomplish his sovereign will. What Augustus didn't know was that God was using him, the ruler of the most powerful empire in the world, to accomplish God's sovereign will and to fulfill an ancient prophecy. We have no way of knowing the human reasons for why Augustus timed his census as he did. What we do know, however, was that God was behind the timing. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Back in the Garden of Eden, God promised Adam and Eve that he would send a Savior to the world. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God worked through the course of human history until the perfect time came for him to send his Son, the Lord Jesus. God sent Jesus when many human conditions lined up perfectly. When God sent his son into the world, the ancient world benefited from several conditions that made it far easier to spread the news of the good news of salvation. Some of these conditions were, number one, Roman law. 
Roman law protected Paul and the others as they traveled the Roman world and preached the gospel. Number two, Roman peace. The lack of wars in the Roman Empire allowed the apostles and early believers to travel freely without fear. Number three, Roman roads. The excellent Roman roads, such, some of which are still in use today, afforded early Christians with an easy means to travel from town to town. Number four, the Greek language. The language of Greece, which was the most popular and common language in the world at that time, was the perfect language for the spread of the gospel. Greek was an expressive language that allowed deep truth to be explained in great detail. Four good points there. When Augustus issued his decree, he did not know that he was also being used by God to fulfill another ancient prophecy. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, Be thou Bethlehem Ephrat, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Because the families of Joseph and Mary were from Bethlehem, the command to be counted forced them to travel from Nazareth. Look at Luke chapter 2 verse 4 to Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Luke chapter 2 verse 6. Augustus was ignorant of his involvement with the sovereign plan of God, yet he is as much a part of the Christmas story as the angels and the shepherds. Jesus came into this world to save people just like Augustus. He came to save those who are ignorant of God and living for themselves. He came to save the dead, the deceived, the depraved, and the doomed. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He came to save those who would move through this life without a thought for God or his will. He came to save lost sinners from their sins and from themselves. The ignorant, the people like Caesar Augustus, are the whosoevers Jesus came to save. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. So we leave out the ignorant. We also leave out the indifferent. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, introduces us to another person who was part of the Christmas story with the words, because there was no room for them in the inn. In larger, ancient inns, there was an innkeeper, the innkeeper kept watch over the inn and collected the money from those who stayed in his establishment. Inns in the ancient Middle East were nothing like our modern hotels. They were usually an open courtyard surrounded by an enclosure with awnings or other shelters where people could bed down for the night. They provided travelers with a little bit of safety and rest from their travels. The innkeeper would be paid by the traveler for a place to stay and it would be his duty to provide his lodgers with food, drink, and shelter. The inn at Bethlehem was an ancient inn. It had been in business a long time. It was known as Chenham's Inn, named after a friend of King David's in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verses 38 through 40. Jeremiah stayed at this inn when he was kidnapped and taken to Egypt. Jeremiah chapter 41, verse 17. When Joseph arrived at the inn in Bethlehem with a very pregnant Mary, the innkeeper turned him away because the inn was already filled with travelers. His words to them as he turned them away and he told them that there was no room. But was that really correct? What about his room? He could have given Mary and Joseph his room for the night. He could have, but he was indifferent to their need. 
and as an afterthought he points them to a cave where the donkeys and the animals were tied. Perhaps they could find room for themselves there. How generous. The truth is, this innkeeper was unmoved by Mary and by her obvious need. He was indifferent to the fact that the divine plan of God had brought him face to face with the Savior of humanity, and without a thought, he turned them away. The innkeeper was indifferent that night, but he's as much a part of the Christmas story as anyone else that was there. We don't mention him often, but he needs to be included too. Our world is filled with many people just like this innkeeper. It is filled with those who are so preoccupied with life, like themselves, that they have no time for anyone or anything else. When they hear the gospel, they are indifferent to it. They don't care about God, the Lord Jesus Christ, or the gospel of grace. They think those things have nothing to do with them or the lives they are living. They hear our witness and they are unmoved. They pass by our churches without a thought to what we're doing or the God that we serve. They don't realize that Jesus Christ died for indifferent people too. He died for the very people who could care less about him. He died for the busy person, the preoccupied person, the self-centered person. He died for the person who cannot see past the end of their own nose. He died for you. When Jesus came... He came unto his own, and his own received him not. John chapter 1, verse 11. But he came anyway. He came, and he died. He died to save the indifferent from their sins and from themselves. They are part of the whosoever for whom Jesus died. Jesus died for the indifferent. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. John chapter 7, verse 37. If the indifferent will hear him and come to him, they will be saved. John chapter 6, verse 37. So we see that we leave out the ignorant and the indifferent. We also leave out the incredulous. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, introduces us to another group of people who are left out of the nativity scene every year. The shepherds heard the message of the angels, and they went, as fast as they could, to Bethlehem to see the baby Jesus. And when they saw him, they believed the message of the angel, and having worshipped the Lord, they returned to their sheep. As these shepherds made their way back into the hill country to return to their flocks, they told everyone they met about the baby in the manger and about the message of the angels. Verse 18 says that everyone who heard the story wondered at it. That word means to be impressed or to marvel. It carries the idea of being astonished by something. The news the shepherds told them left their mouths hanging open in amazement. They were amazed that a group of dirty shepherds are moving through the streets of Bethlehem praising God and preaching about the coming of the Messiah. The people who heard the story were amazed. The Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. He's come as a baby, and he's just there over there in a the manger. Those were the kinds of things they probably said to one another that night. They heard the story, and it impressed them, but they never went to see if it was true. How sad. The Savior of the world was so very close by, and they failed to go to him to see for themselves. 
You know, again, this describes so many people in our own world. We preach the gospel. We tell the world that Jesus loves them. So they hear the message and they see the changed lives of those who come to know the Lord, but they never investigate for themselves. They miss opportunity after opportunity to meet the Lord for themselves. Maybe they're too busy. Maybe they're too preoccupied with life. Maybe they're afraid of the cost. Whatever their reasons, they miss out on the best thing the Lord ever did for them. They miss out on meeting the only person who can save their soul. See, Jesus came for people like that. He came for people who are too busy and too caught up in their own lives to come to him. He died to save people just like that. The story of the rich young ruler proves that. Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 21 tells the story of a young man who ran to Jesus looking for spiritual answers. Jesus very clearly described the cost of following him and the man who ran to Jesus turned and walked away. In verse 21 of that story, the Bible says that Jesus loved him. You see, salvation was available for the young man, but he was not willing to pay the price. The message was appealing. The cost was not. Every time you hear a sermon, God is passing close to you. Every time a Christian invites you to be saved, God is passing by. Every time, my brothers and sisters, that you feel him drawing you to come to him, he's passing by. Do not take these heavenly invitations lightly. The news that God loves you may impress you, but it won't save you until you turn to him in faith. The gospel message of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ might cost you to marvel at the love of God for sinners, but it won't save you until you believe. That is why the Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6. So I invite you to stop marveling at the message. I invite you to come to Jesus Christ for salvation today. You are why he came and why he died and why he rose again. If you will receive him, he will save you by his grace. The difference between heaven and hell can be as simple as the difference between being impressed by the gospel and believing it. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. So we leave out the ignorant, we leave out the indifferent, and we leave out the incredulous. We also leave out the self-righteous. By using the label, the self-righteous, I'm referring to the religious leaders in that day who were blind to who Jesus really was. They were so blind to the truth that they failed to see it when they saw it with their own eyes. Take, for instance, the rabbi in Bethlehem who circumcised the Lord Jesus when he was eight days old. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. This religious man placed his hands on the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and he failed to recognize him. Consider also the chief priests and scribes summoned by Herod in Matthew chapter 2. When the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, following a star, they said was leading them to where they would find the king of the Jews. Herod called the religious leaders together and asked them to tell him where Christ should be born. Matthew chapter 2 verses 4 through 6. They quoted from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 and said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. You see, these men are amazing. 
They have in their very hands and minds the very word of God. They have in front of them a group of men who from a faraway land had traveled hundreds of miles, following a star that they say is leading them to the birthplace of the Jewish Messiah. A star, by the way, that was also part of the Jewish prophecy. Look at um, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Yet these men are so preoccupied with their religion that they fail to travel the five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see if this is the Messiah or not. They are satisfied in their religion and in where they believe they'd stand with God. In their minds, they have reached the pinnacle of spiritual success and they need nothing more. It seems to me that they are saying, is this the Messiah? Let him come to us. Years later, he did, and when he did, they refused to believe in him either. These self-righteous Jewish religious leaders are so just as much a part of the Christmas story as the shepherds, angels, and wise men. They remind us of so many who have joined our churches, quoted our prayers, walked through baptismal waters, yet without a life-changing, sin-killing, eternity-altering relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for people like that. He died for the self-righteous religious person who thinks that they're good enough on their own. He died to deliver the deceived from their deception. He died to set them free from their spiritual darkness and bondage. Consider Saul of Taurus. He was a very religious man. He was a very zealous Jew going so far as arresting Christians and having them put to death for their faith in Jesus. And when Saul of Taurus bowed to the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved, here is his testimony. And I thank Jesus, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. You notice that Paul doesn't mention his achievements. Notice how he doesn't mention that many would have considered that a list of commendations. Paul came to see himself as a sinner, and when he did, he repented, and God saved his soul. We leave out the wicked. Another person we never see in the nativity scene, and who yet belongs there as much as anyone else, is King Herod. Alongside Herod... In the nativity should be the soldiers who marched into Bethlehem and executed those precious innocent children. King Herod is also known as Herod the Great, and he was a wicked man. He was half Jewish and half Edomite. As half Jew, half Gentile, the Jews had little use for him. He served as a king, but he was under the control of the Roman emperor. In order to win the favor of the Jews and to maintain peace in his kingdom, he spent 46 years and an enormous sum of money turning the Jewish temple into a place of beauty and splendor. He was also a very cruel man. He had wives and sons put to death because he felt like they were in his power. And when it became clear that he would die, he ordered that 70 Jewish religious leaders be persecuted when he died. He did this so there would be weeping when he died. This cruel, self-centered murderer that the wise man approached to find the person that they called King of the Jews, Herod made a show of finding the answers they were after. He sent the wise men to Bethlehem to find this child they claim is the fulfillment of ancient prophecy. He tells them to go and worship. But his true intentions are revealed when the wise men fail to show up. 
In a murderous rage, he sends his soldiers to Bethlehem with instructions to kill every child under the age of two. Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. By the way, the nativity scene should include those served soldiers as well. Yet our world is filled with self-centered, cruel people too. They need to know that Jesus died to save them. He came into this world to live and die so the wicked could be delivered from their evil. Jesus died for people like King Herod and his soldiers. He died for serial killers. He died for murderers. He died for drunks, drug addicts, homosexuals, lesbians, and thieves. He died for ruthless people who do anything and everything in their power to hold on to the things that they possess. He died for the people who will step on anything or anyone to get what they want. He died for those who do not care about the feelings or needs of others. He died for the mean, hateful people that we rub shoulders with every day. Jesus died for the members of Westboro Baptist Church who still protest at funerals and carry signs that say, Lord, forgive me, God hates fags and thank God for dead soldiers. They are as cruel as those who take the lives of others, but Jesus also died for them despite their ignorance. He died for those who can think of no one but themselves. He died for politicians. He died for teachers, homemakers, truck drivers, pastors, deacons, and Sunday school teachers. Jesus Christ died for sinners, and that includes every person who ever or will ever live. Jesus died for me, and Jesus died for you. You know, this Christmas season, when we think about the nativity scene, I'm sure we know who it will include. Now, we also know who won't be there. We will include those we think deserve to be there. We'll include those who worshipped our Lord at his birth. We'll leave out the rest. In reality, we will leave out ourselves. If you had been there the night when he was born, the truth is we would have ignored him like most of the others did. We would have turned a deaf ear to the rejoicing of the shepherds. We would not have followed the wise men to worship the child. Why? Because we're sinners. And by nature, we are lost in the dark and love our darkness rather than the light. But I'm glad to tell you that Jesus died for people like us. He died to deliver us from our darkness. He died to save us from our sins. If I could go back to that manger today, knowing what I know now, I would go to him. I would fall down before that baby and worship him as God. But it's only because I know who he is. Turn back the clock if you had met me then, you would have met a different man. You take that young man to the manger, and he probably would have walked away without thought of worshiping that child. Do you need to be saved today? Do you see yourself in the crowd that's always left out of the nativity scene? If so, come to Jesus. He loves you. He died to save you, and he will save you if you will come to him. Bow with me, please. Our Lord, we thank you. For the nativity we thank you for the scene that confronts us when we see it father most of all we thank you for the baby that was in that manger because he came to save all mankind from their sins and certain damnation in the pits of hell father if there be those who have not accepted your son i ask you to move on their hearts today and help them fall right where they are on their knees or behind the wheel of their car and ask Jesus to come into their heart and accept him as their Lord and Savior. If there are others who have accepted Christ but have fallen away, Father, I ask you to move in their hearts as well to help them see 
who was left out of the nativity. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you all, and Merry Christmas.